Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Tonight, we have one of our own. And uh, he's a fellow that was on staff ever for over five years. He's been away pastoring his own church in Colorado Springs for the last 10 years. Would you please welcome our very own Pastor Al Pittman? Amen. Well, let's sing. I haven't done this for a long time, so if I'm a little rusty, just... Uh... Add some grace to it. Amen. (laughs) I see the Lord seated on the throne, exalted, and the train of his robe fills the temple with glory. And the whole earth is filled. And the whole earth is filled. And the whole earth is filled with His glory. Another song. I need Thee, oh, I need Thee. For all you old-timers, amen. (laughs) Every hour I need Thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to Thee. Let's sing it like we mean it. I need Thee, oh, I need Thee right now, Jesus. Every hour I need Thee, and oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to God, we come to you tonight because we need you. We don't need a building. We don't need carpet. We don't need anything, Lord, but you. We need you tonight. And we pray tonight, Father, that you will bless your word and that your word would go forth and accomplish your purpose in your church. Be magnified in this place. We pray for Pastor Skip that you will refresh his spirit as he seeks to serve you. Lord, that you will strengthen him. And Lord, you would bring him back refreshed in your spirit and by your grace and your mercy. Thank you for this hour that we have to look into your 
wonderful word. Be glorified, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. It's good to be back home. Amen. And uh, I know some of you are probably wondering, who's the black guy? Is this missionary Sunday or Saturday? No, it's not. Amen. (laughs) Amen. I was here a long time ago, but this is always home. Greetings to you from Calvary Worship Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I see God has been faithful and is doing an awesome work here as he is in Colorado Springs. So we thank God. Well, let's look at God's word this evening. Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2, and uh, we're just going to look at a couple of verses, and um, it's a familiar text. Uh, You're taught well, you know this uh, text. I pray, however, that the Holy Spirit will speak to you in a new and fresh way through his word. Hebrews chapter 12, following, of course, the great chapter of faith, where those who believed in God, did not receive the promise of the Messiah as we have received the promise. And uh, they died, the Bible says, not having received the promise. And so we find here in this, in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that Paul is encouraging them to run the great race of faith in light of the testimony and witness of those who have gone before them. In these two verses, the author of Hebrews uses an athletic analogy to encourage the saints to stay in the race of faith. And so I want to do that tonight, to hopefully encourage you to to run on, to continue, because sometimes in this world we grow weary and we wonder, Lord, is it really worth it? But I'm here to tell you that it is worth it. You run on in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, so he says here in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Run on. God wants us to run with great confidence and zeal in him. He wants us to run the great race of faith in Jesus Christ. And we have to run this race by faith. He doesn't want us to lazily, you know, sort of, you know, take a stab at running. He wants us to run in full stride of faith in him. Because there's sometimes in our lives that we get a little lazy in our running, uh, this race of faith. And so the author of Hebrews, who I believe is Paul the Apostle, and people debate that, but we'll just call him the author of Hebrews, is encouraging them to run This great race did not just trot along, you know, sometimes when I'm driving down the road, I'll see that person who jogs a lot like me, you know, it's the trotting jog, you know, the guy that's kind of just kind of shuffling along like this, you know, and uh, you look at him and you just say, you know, bless his heart. (laughs) 
he's really trying, but he just, you know, you, but he hadn't broken a sweat, got on the tennis shoes and all in the, you know, the right shoes, the jogging shoes and the outfit, but he hasn't broken a sweat because they're kind of pedaling along like this, you know. And of course, then I get convicted. It's like, well, at least he's out there trying, you know. But I love to see that, you know, that guy that comes running by, he's got the shirt off, he's glistening with sweat, he's got the bottle, you know, the thing on his arm, something in his ear, I don't know what it is, and he's just and he's, he's moving, it's like, yeah, Lord, that's what I want to be. I want to run like that. But I'm never inspired to go out and do that, so I, <laughs> it's nice to see, though. And uh, to see it just, just, you know, running full stride, getting the full benefit, taking in their lungs a full breath of air. A man or a woman who is running hard and, and reaping the benefits of running, not just simply trotting along. God, I believe, wants us to run in that way. Now, I know that sometimes we run and we may grow weary or even fall and stumble. But get up and run on for a righteous man or woman falls seven times and gets up seven times. We need to run on. And it takes faith to run in full stride. Anyone can kind of peter along, you know, totter along, you know. But to run with faith and confidence in God. In order to motivate these Hebrew believers to stay in the race, the author reminds them of those who have gone before, the witnesses of faith. Verse 1, he says, Therefore, we also, since we have this great cloud of witnesses, let us run. The, the visual here describes, uh, description is uh, gives, uh, given here is, is for the purpose of inspiring them. Look at those who've gone on before you. If you're growing a little weary, consider those who have gone on before you. You know, I, I draw strength from those who've gone on before me in my family, my, my ancestors, my relatives who've gone on before me because I knew they, I know they had to be strong people. Historically, I draw strength from them. As an American, uh, I, I think that if my ancestors could, could survive a, a cruel and dehumanizing voyage from, on a slave ship from Africa, I mean, it wasn't the love boat. Amen. If they could survive that, if they could work under harsh, degrading conditions in the South and pick cotton and live under the segregationist laws of Jim Crow. If they could serve in our military, our nation's military, and then come back to this country to only have to fight again for their basic civil rights. In those times when I want to quit myself. I look back at the history, the rich heritage that I have, and I recall those who've gone before me. I recall the strong hand of my father who taught me no one owes you anything. I recall the words of my mother who led me to faith in Christ. And indeed, our ancestors may have taken different routes. Amen. But our stories in many ways are the same. Stories of perseverance and struggle. That we might enjoy the freedoms that we have tonight. Thank God they may not have been perfect, but that those who've gone on before us, a great cloud of witnesses that we can draw strength from. In my office at home, there's an old axe head. It's a axe head that I stole, I mean, I borrowed from my grandmother's farm when she was living. 
some years ago. And, and, and I took this, this axe head because they said it's the very axe head that my grandfather used uh, uh, at one point in, uh, back in the 40s or whatever. He realized that the farm, the original farm, 40 acres and a mule that were given to many of the, the, the former slaves uh, after the Civil War, that original farm had fallen into, uh, had gotten behind in, in the taxes uh, that they owed on the land. He didn't know about it. It was kind of kept from him, I think, because somebody wanted to take the land. But uh, he found out that it, the taxes needed to be paid on it. So what he did is he had to cut railroad ties with this axe. Cut railroad ties after working all day, in addition to his work, cut railroad ties to raise the money, and then walk 27 miles to the county seat or wherever he had to go to pay the taxes on the land. He didn't get a ride. He walked 27 miles and walked home. And I think of that when I feel like quitting, when I feel like giving up, when I feel like I can't make it, I look at the sacrifice of those who've gone before me, historically even. And in light of their sacrifice, I say to myself, I must not, I cannot, I will not fail. It will be a disgrace to them. But this is exactly the point Paul is making, or the author of Hebrews is making here. For us as believers... You say, well, I didn't come tonight to hear a civil rights message. No, it's not a civil rights message. <laughs> but it's a spiritual rights message that you have in Christ. Because the exact point that the author of Hebrews is making here is simply this. It's that when you look at those who've gone before you, those who are witnesses in faith, they did not receive the promise, yet they believed God and died not receiving the promise. You have this great cloud of witnesses, those who've gone before you, surrounding you. And so the reality is that for us, quitting as believers is not an option. So if you feel like quitting tonight... Consider the cloud of witnesses who were sawn in two, who were hunted like animals, who were burned at the stake, who were crucified upside down, who endured all of these hardships. They are witnesses for us. There is no option for me as a believer to quit. And of course, as Peter said, Lord, where else can I go? You have the words of life. Quitting is not an option. We should be inspired to run on with a renewed boldness and assurance in Christ. That's what he's writing about here. Inspired to run on the boldness and an assurance in Christ as we consider those witnesses who inspire us to run the race by faith. Oh, it's a great race. Stay in it. Run at full stride. In response to this heritage that we have in Christ, in response to the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us, the author exhorts them to do three things. And so he says, in light of this great cloud of witnesses, number one, lay aside every weight. Lay aside every weight. Every weight or every encumbrance in your life that will keep you from running full on into the heart of Jesus. Lay aside every encumbrance. There are some things that are socially acceptable, but they are not spiritually beneficial to us. Those things that we want to hang on to, but they weigh us down. Oh, no, the world says it's fine, it's okay to do, but the reality is that they weigh us down. 
anything that encumbers my relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Paul says says there that all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I believe true repentance is a willingness to cast aside every encumbrance. To cast aside every encumbrance. Not to engage in negotiations with God as to what we can keep. You ever do that with the Lord? Well, Lord, I'll tell you what, I'll, uh, if I give you this, will you let, you know, you can't negotiate. He wants all or nothing at all. Am I right? He wants everything, complete surrender. But when we're truly repentant, you want to give all. I met with a man in my office the other day, and he had committed adultery on his wife. And she was a Christian. He was not. I say he was not. Because he came into that office a broken man. There wasn't no negotiation. Well, pastor, tell you what, you know, I'll do this if, uh, you know, you'll do that. Or if God will let me hold on to this. No, he came in broken. Tears in his eyes. Afraid of losing his marriage, but more importantly, concerned for his relationship with God. He wasn't in a negotiating frame of mind. He was in a surrender frame of mind. True repentance wants to lay aside every encumbrance and say, God, whatever your will is, is what I want. I remember the story of blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. Verses 46 to 52. And a blind Bartimaeus kept crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And they were telling him, be quiet. And finally, you know, Jesus, he, he got, got the attention of the Lord. The Lord said, well, bring him to me. What can I do for you? He said, I want to receive my sight. But before when he came to Jesus, the Bible says he cast off his garment and he went to Jesus. Anything that would encumber him, he said, I got to lay it aside. I need healing in my life. He didn't negotiate with Jesus. He set it aside, and the Bible says after he came to Jesus, Jesus healed him, and he began to follow Jesus Christ. I think it's a beautiful picture of what true repentance is when I need the help of the Lord. I'm not in a negotiating mode. I'm saying, God, whatever it is, I'm casting it aside. I want you. Lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset you. The sin which so easily ensnares you. It's not talking about any particular sin, but sin in general. Anything that will encumber my relationship with the Lord. Anything that seduces us and eventually leads us to apostasy, hardness of heart toward the Lord. They are usually undetectable, those sins. John placed them in three categories in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, as he said that, These are the things that the Lord hates, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those three categories is is where the enemy usually tries to get in and to, to trip us up, to keep us from running the race through those three things. We must discard the weight that we might run well. You know, track athletes run in specially designed suits to maximize their speed and performance. It would be silly to go to a track meet to, to watch them compete and some guy shows up in a snowsuit. Now, what are you doing here? You know, I'm competing. Oh, no, you're not. If you are competing, you're not going to get far. But boy, isn't that the way it is sometimes with believers when we try to hold on to the old life? 
We're actually trying to run the race of faith in Christ, give it all we have in a snowsuit, encumbered by all these old ways and the old life. We've got to lay those things aside. The Bible says in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verses 20 to 24, that indeed we should take off the old man and then put on the new man. Sometimes we're trying to run with the Lord, but we've got the wrong garment on. We need to put on the right frame of mind. The scripture says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? So that you can run after the Lord with all your heart. And how do we do that? Well, simple. It's through repentance. God's not here tonight to condemn us. But he is saying you don't have to wear that snowsuit any longer. He is here to say that you don't have to be burdened any longer with that yoke of bondage that you put on yourself. That's not the yoke that I designed for you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. But you've got to take off the old and you've got to put on the new. And you do that through repentance, genuine repentance before the Lord. That you might run well. The race of faith. Then he says, lay aside every weight. And secondly, we find here in verses 1 and 2, he says, secondly, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run. I'm running after the Lord. How do I run? I run with endurance. You know, you need to have endurance. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, the author says, for you have need of endurance. Amen. We need, hey, listen, if you've been around the church more than a week, (laughs) you need, you know, when you're around church people, you need to have some endurance. Amen. Can I get amen on that one? Can we be real about it? Because we're, we're, we're just folks. We're just flesh and and flesh sometimes gets in the way. And if you don't have endurance, you're not going to last long and you're not going to be able to run the race. You need endurance, faith. The race of faith is not a sprint, but a marathon. And so we need to have endurance. Without it, we can't run the race. But I want you to see something here. Notice, he says, run the race with endurance. The race that is set before you. That's interesting. This race is set. The Greek word for set means to be appointed destined to be done a destined joy jeremiah 29 11 many of us have memorized this passage the lord says for i know the thoughts that i think toward you says the lord thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope the race has been set before us what does that mean that we run With an assurance knowing that God has set the course that I'm running. He has predestined and preordained the course that I am running. It may seem like something new happened in my life and God didn't know about it. It may appear that somehow something kind of got by God and, and, and got to me and God was taking a nap or on vacation that week or whatever. But the reality is that God has set the course for you so that you will have his favor and that you will run a course that will be successful in the end. That's why the Bible says that we are more than conquerors. As Christians, and that no weapon formed against you will prosper. Why? Because your Father in heaven has gone before you and already set up the deal. 
In other words, we're competing on the field, but we have home court advantage. Because our daddy has set the course. I know we don't always agree with the course. We don't always understand why there are certain obstacles in the course. But we can be assured of this, that God set the course. And we are more than conquerors in Christ. And no matter what obstacles the enemy tries to put in our way, we win. We are successful in Christ. Therefore, we can run with endurance because we have great assurance that our Father has set the course. And how do we run with great assurance? It brings us to our third point, and that is looking to the object of our faith. Is it the stuff that we want to have? Is that the object of our faith? Is it a large church? Is that the object of our faith? Is it prosperity? Is that the object of our faith? No. Looking, what did he say? Unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Looking in the sense of turning our eyes away from other things and fixing them on something else. You know, you can't run looking over your shoulder, can you? Oh, you can run, but not very well. And especially when you run into a steel lamp post or something, you know. It, it you know, kind of ruins your day. We've got to run with focus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Looking unto Jesus, the author. In other words, the originator. Literally, the chief leader. In other words, God's not going to have you running someplace. He has not gone before you and prepared the grace sufficient for you in that place long before you get there. You see, he's not saying, well, let's see, why don't you go run on down there and let me know how it goes. No, as the author, he went, he's gone before you. He says, run with assurance and with endurance. It's going to be all right because I have gone before you. I'm the author of where you're going to be. It's already done. So run. He is the chief leader and he's the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. In other words, Christ will carry our faith through to completion. Jesus is also... Listen, he's also the perfected and completed example of our faith. Amen? When you're hiring a contractor or some skilled laborer or artisan, and, you know, they're walking around going, telling you all the stuff they can do, Oh, yeah, we knock that wall out, and yeah, we do that, and yeah, you know, hey, oh, sure, you know. Talk is cheap, but we found that out in our construction project up there in our, with our building, you know. They always say when they tell you, you know, it's going to be six months, add another six months to it, <laughs> and uh, twice as much money, amen. And, uh, but, you know, anybody can tell you what they can do. Oh, you know, what I want to know is uh, let me see some of your work. You know, you, we can build that table for you. We can build this podium for you, this pulpit. You know, th- what, what have you done in the past? Let's, let's look at some of your work first. So, well, what's your point in saying that? Well, here's the deal. Jesus is the perfected work of the Father. Jesus is God's example of his workmanship for us. 
looking unto the finished product, Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the finished product. So what's the point here? Listen, if you ever wonder or doubt God's workmanship in you, then look to the finished product who is Jesus. If you ever thought in your mind, I don't think God really knows how to work on my situation. I don't know if he's ever handled a project like me before. (laughs) Amen. All you have to do is look to the finished project that is Jesus Christ, perfected, seated at the right hand on the throne of God, and you can rejoice and say, it's going to be all right because that's where I'm going to end up. Perfected in him. In fact, the Bible says that we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. And then the Bible says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. In the original language, it's interesting there because here we see uh, the love of the Lord and the intimacy of the Father and the Son. Because he says, For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. In the original Greek language, the word for is what they call a presupposition which actually means instead of. So I would read that in the past and say, well, for the joy. Well, Jesus saw my beautiful love with my face, and he just thought, oh, he's so cuddly. For the joy of knowing Al Pittman, you know. (laughs) For the joy of having churches built in my name. For the joy of, of having my name on the lips of millions of people. But that's not what it means. Because when you read it, as it is in the original Greek, it says, Instead of, in other words, instead of the joy or more than the joy of those things that are to come, Christ's supreme desire was to be reconciled in his pre-incarnate relationship with God, his father. It wasn't the joy of stuff in this world. It wasn't the joy of, oh, just having buildings built in his name. But it was for the reunion of the father and the son for which he hung on the cross. That was the joy that he was looking at. And that's why he endured. And yes, it was for us. But he longed to be reunited with his father after paying the full price for our sins. And I think in like manner, the look when we cast our gaze upon Jesus, when he says, looking unto Jesus, it should be a longing gaze for Jesus and nothing else. And sometimes we look to Jesus. I'm, I'm looking to Jesus so I can get that pay raise. Woo! I'm looking to Jesus because I got a new car coming. Ow! You know, get that Pentecostal leg up in the air when you... When you think you're going to get something. Yeah, you know. But Paul said, oh, that I might know him. In the fellowship of his suffering and the power of his resurrection. It's not about knowing stuff. But knowing him. 
Is that the joy set before us? Or am I just here kind of checking the church thing out until, you know, I figure out the formula to get what I want? No, if I have Jesus, I have all that I need. The joy in running is derived from the vision of his perfection, not our perfection, though. The joy we get from running is seeing him as he is and focused on him and his beauty and focused on Jesus and his work and the grace of God that that he has for us. That's the joy that we find in running. There has to be some joy in our running and it's from focusing in on who Jesus is. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's not, it's not focusing in on our perfection, but who he is. For all of you perfectionists who are here, I, I love the words of uh, this author, uh, Edwin Bliss. He once wrote that the pursuit of excellence is gratifying and healthy. The pursuit of perfection is frustrating, neurotic, and a terrible waste of time, close quote. <laughs> because sometimes we run and we run on the energy and joy that we have on, hey, I did pretty good in church. Pastor Skip wants me to take over that ministry. Oh, yeah, I'm running. Oh, yeah, I'm good, you know. And we're running in our own perfection, and what happens? You have a blowout or a flat tire, and then you're, you're, you're drained, you know. And you want to quit. Why? Because you're focused on your performance rather than on his perfection and that we are perfected in him. Already. Amen. Well, Jesus is the excellence that we should focus on. Thus, in Jesus, we find the strength to run on. Let us look unto Jesus, not our failures, but his faithfulness. I've got to hurry up. They said if I go over, they're not going to have me come back. Okay. (laughs) Here's what I want to leave you with. We are all running. And if you don't know Christ tonight, you're running too. For most people, and most of us, before we came to Jesus, we were running from something most of the time. But the beautiful thing in Christ is that we're running to something. We're running to the heart of God. Do you know what you're running towards today? Tonight? It could be toward a dead end. Or is it toward the glory? Is it toward the joy? Is it toward the heart of God the Father? Because of the forgiveness that we have through faith in Jesus Christ. You can run freely without condemnation, without guilt tonight. By simply asking Jesus to come into your life to be your Lord and Savior. And maybe you're here as a believer and you're struggling. You've got the snowsuit on and you've been trying to reason things out in your own mind rather than coming in humility, surrendering yourself to the Lord. You fashion a yoke that's around your neck that is chafing your neck and and blood's running down and everything. You get the visual. Because it's not the yoke God has for you. You're under this burden that is of your own making and not God's. God wants us to run to his heart. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. A couple of weeks ago, Marion Jones, the Olympic gold medalist, uh, confessed in an emotional statement that she'd been living a lie and had indeed been taking steroids. She's a gold medalist and won all these medals, and they found out that she'd been 
taking steroids all the time and she'd been lying about it. But what struck me was that despite her shame, her mother was standing behind her with a hand gently placed on her back as she spoke, helping her through the ordeal. I was moved by that and I thought that her mother's love for her daughter was greater than the shame of her daughter's sin. And I thought to myself, if this mother can love her daughter that much, how much more does God love us despite our shame? You see, the Bible also says here in verse 2 of Hebrews 12 that he despised the shame that he had to go through for us. God loves us so much that our shame could not keep him away. And I would say to you tonight that you may be sitting there feeling shameful that, you know what, I like to run. I want to draw near to God, but you don't know, Pastor, what I've done. You don't know where I've been. I'm ashamed. People see me coming forward or getting, asking for prayer. I mean, you know, they'll, they'll, they know me. They, someone may see me, you know, whatever. But the reality is that shame never hides the love and mercy of God from us. No matter how shameful we may feel, Jesus, despite the shame that he suffered as he hung there practically naked, beaten and bleeding before those who would mock him and scoff him, he bore our shame, our sin. And the shame and sin of our own making and doing, it was not enough to keep him from drawing near to you and to me. So if there's shame in your game, God is not going to stand off from you. It's not enough to keep him from drawing near to you. But we must come and surrender ourselves. You know, pride and unrepentance will keep God away. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. But your shame is not enough to keep his love and his grace away. It's a broken and contrite heart that he will not despise. Jesus died that we might run. That we might run with purpose, that we might be a people of purpose. Not aimlessly running through the streets of life, but run directly into the heart of God. Unencumbered straight into his heart to experience his pleasure. There was another Olympian by the name of Eric Lytle. And he was portrayed in the 1981 film Chariots of Fire. Many of us saw it back in the olden days, 1981. (laughs) But it was based on the 1924 Summer Olympics. And he gave this famous quote concerning his relationship with the Lord and his athletic ability. He said, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. My message to you tonight, I know some of you may be weary. Some of you have been through a lot of things, but I'm here to tell you, run on. It is worth it. Run. Live. In such a way as to feel the pleasure of God as we live for his pleasure in this great race of faith. May God enable you to do that.
And if there's anything that is encumbering you, that is in keeping you from doing that, now's the night to say, God, free me from the shackles, from anything that would keep me from running full stride tonight into your heart. Run the great race of faith in full assurance of his great love for you. And so, Father, we thank you tonight for the reminder in your word. And I pray, Father, that if there's anyone here this evening that has dropped out of the race, maybe some who do not know Jesus who've never started the race, they've been running aimlessly, Lord, in the darkness, running from things, but always running into something else. Father, I pray that you would help them to surrender to you tonight. I pray that you would strengthen and edify and build up the body of Christ too. That if we are here tonight, Lord, and there's something that you've put your finger on in our life, that like blind Bartimaeus, we would cast it aside. I don't want anything to do with any encumbrance that keeps me from your heart, O Lord. So, Father, we come as your children. Help us to run this race of faith that indeed we may feel your pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.